We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. I hate the burden of having to talk about my transness on the first or even the second date. Wow. You would let me take you out twice. Well, this and is not ideal. Say, right, and not say... Just so you know. If we met out and about, yeah, I'm more likely to to hold off longer. Now, online, if I'm like on an app or something, I put it in my profiles. Like, I don't play that game. No, but I met you at, if I met you at a bar, restaurant, whatever, Raquel's so beautiful, can I take you out? Sure. It varies, but I'm not going to be like, can you take me out? Sure. Oh, by the way, I'm trans. Like, I might do that, but I don't feel obligated to do that. The tour ratio. Okay, though. The tour ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. Raquel Willis is a friend of mine and a noted trans activist and the author of a powerful memoir called The Risk It Takes to Bloom. This is a really honest conversation about what it is like to be trans in every aspect of life, from politics to her dating life. Raquel was incredibly open, and I'm super grateful for her honesty. I learned a lot about what it means to be trans from her perspective. Let's get into it. It's Raquel Willis on Touré Show. How are you? I'm great. Like, how are you really? I feel... I feel like accomplished like I accomplished this big thing and I feel like I'm growing into a new person it's it's almost like you beat like a boss in a video game and then you're like on the other side and you're like oh wait okay so what's next like where are we now okay. and that's kind of how it feels right you, now you feel right now like you're growing into a new person yeah where are you where do you feel that growing toward? Well, the funny thing is, I think during the process of writing the book, mm -hmm. I turned 30. Mm -hmm. and Big milestone. Big milestone. <laughs> and there was a lot of healing that came from processing my relationships throughout life, and, mm -hmm. and particularly in romance or in family. 
And like the desire for more intimacy is there. And I think now being like, oh, I've processed some things and I have some tools now. Let's demand that shit. Mm. Like that's here. So like even with like my mom and like my immediate family, it's been, we don't really have enough intimacy, y'all. Like we talk about our lives like we're in a business meeting. Like (laughs) have we accomplished this? Are you taking care of that? Not the messy stuff. And so I've been demanding more of like the messy stuff. Like where are we in life? And it's been a beautiful thing. And I think we're demanding that of each other now too. From my vantage, it seems like it is a better time now to be trans publicly Mm -hmm. than it has been at any time going back 10, 20, 30 years. And yet there's still a lot of danger, a lot of vulnerability, mm-hmm. a lot more room to grow. How do you feel just about about that? You have seen tremendous change in the visibility and the ability to be visible in your lifetime. Um, how do you feel about that? Whew. There are trade-offs. I think there are trade-offs of being trans now than even, like, 10 years ago for me. Like what? Um, Well, when I started being open about my transness 10 to 12 years ago, there was a little bit more understanding that I was my own person. I wasn't carrying all the political baggage all the rhetoric that exists now. Mm. So there was a weird sense of freedom then. Whereas now, if I tell somebody I'm trans, you know, there I think there's a lot of discussion around, oh, well, so do you really think that you should be able to play sports with, mm. like, cis women? Mm. Or m- maybe if this was, like three or four years ago, well, what do you think about Caitlyn Jenner? Mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. oh, you're trans like Caitlyn Jenner. And it's mm-hmm. always like, no, not like Caitlyn. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you make a good point that Caitlyn is trans but is not for trans liberation. Right. So she is not on your side of the political spectrum at all. No. I mean, the values are not aligned. Right. 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 And so that's the thing about visibility that I think people forget is that, yes, it may seem like you hear more about trans people. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you hear more about the ins and outs of our experiences or what our true authentic desires are. Yeah. I I actually think people hear more about trans people still as a threat, right? Mm. Or that we are preying on mm. the good normal people mm. who don't really exist. <laughs> Um, and it's just not true. So, yes, there are benefits, I think, to being openly trans now and being able to be that. But then, you know, I'm not even talking about everyday life. So, like, if I'm walking down the street, I'm not always in a space where I want to want people to know that I'm trans, right? Like. I just want to be in the bodega getting my chicken Caesar wrap like anybody else, right? Right, right. right. When well, you encounter me working in a store, post office, mm-hmm. whatever, 
you don't need me to know that you're right. Like I'm like, I'm talking to a woman. I gave her what she needed. Yeah. And she like and right, like you don't need me to know that you're a trans, you're a woman. Right. And I think that there's a there's this idea, even with well-meaning folks, that if they know that I'm trans, that I have to be a therapist mm. for them and whatever their qualms are about my existence or their existence, or I have to be an educator, a professor mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to like give them the things that they don't give them the answers and the solutions mm -hmm. to these big kind of societal issues that in some ways have been dropped on trans people's doorstep. Like conservatives have made mountains out of things like the transports conversation. Ugh. Or this idea that there are millions of young trans people who are accessing surgeries. Mm, at very young Which ages. is not true. And drugs, very young ages. All of these things. Oh, such a panic. They've dropped that on our doorstep because they know that it feeds confirmation bias, right? Like it feeds the existing fear and ignorance mm -hmm. around trans people's experiences. It's and while my job... Like, as an activist, as a journalist, in some way is to try and work through those things with people, mm -hmm. every trans person doesn't desire to do that. No, no. And, and so the assumption that my identity tells you that I want to be an activist in that way, that's a problem. Um, is there a term that you think of or a notion that you think of as far as I feel like you are assimilated more than some other people I see. Like if I didn't know Raquel mm -hmm. and I just, I would be like, oh, it, you know, this is a woman and it wouldn't think anything, right? And there are yeah. other trans people who are, can I say, less assimilated and I, I look at them and I am aware this is a trans person, right? And I know there mm -hmm. are other trans people who I'm like, I would never guess. Right. And is there a is there a term or is there a, a, a discussion around that notion? Yeah. I mean, the idea of passing that we all always kind of hear and that we can hear in a racial context exists. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a period where people were saying cis assumed, like people assume that you're cisgender. Is that what you want? To be assumed as cis. Yeah. Not always, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't relish sometimes in being able to partake in that. I mean, would you not say I have fully embraced or taken in my femininity in an authentic way. Mm -hmm. If I meet somebody and they assume, they don't think this is a trans person, they think this is a cis woman. It's complicated. Uh, yeah. It's complicated yeah. because being assumed as cis just 
does give you a bit more ease. So mm-hmm. like I was saying, you know, like the only reason I have people, for instance, in my neighborhood who know my <laughs> transness is because maybe they see me in a in interview. Right, in media. Right, right or right. in media. Right. Right, because I've made that choice to be open. Um, but I do think that my trans experience makes me able to see different dimensions of the world in ways that cis people don't. For sure. It helps me understand how bullshit systems of oppression can be in a different way, especially the patriarchy. Um, And I actually think that there's a lot that cis people can learn from trans folks about... Our individual power to chart our own destinies, to shatter expectations that don't serve us. Because we're all saddled with them. So, Mm -hmm. like, I grew up being raised as a little boy, little black boy in Augusta, Georgia. I know the experiences I had being told I couldn't express certain emotions. Mm -hmm is an experience that my cis brethren experienced, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sure. I know even now, it, it we'll stay on the emotional tip, my hesitance to express certain emotions is tied to that, but also tied to not wanting to be painted as a particular type of black woman at mm. this point in my life. Interesting. So I can't express anger in mixed company, mm, right? You be ABW. I don't want to be an ABW, angry but, black woman. But is some of that? Are you? Am I hearing? Because I would be. I, I would probably. It would take a lot for me to express anger. Yeah. Right. Because yeah, I think that's true. Because I'm taught, like as a black man, you are entering a very dangerous space if you express anger in a public space, mm-hmm. right? So is 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 that lesson from the little uh, can I say the little boy <laughs> is that still in you or are you say I think every version of me is in me yeah but I, I guess what I hope to offer to folks cis or trans or or whatever is that a lot of our lessons are intertwined mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of these things that we think make our experiences so dissimilar because of gender are fallacies. You know, so the 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 boxes, the restrictions that are put on cis men are connected to some of the boxes put on cis women and particularly in a black context. I, and then similarly for trans folks. I learned a lot or I was reminded of a lot when I saw a video of a trans man on TikTok who was crying about the loneliness of being male and Mm. how men don't create friendships and intimacy or relationship intimacy the same way. And, you know, he was saying when he was a woman, you create bonds in the bathroom just in a moment, right? Mm -hmm. And that's my sister. And you have that sort of stuff. And as a man, it like feels very lonely. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's correct. That is the way it feels to be a man. I just forgot because I've been in this forever. Mm. Um, And so I really learned something looking at this person who could say, okay, I've seen the other side. 
and it is different. It doesn't have to be this way. Do you think that there is a lesson that you have for uh, women or men seeing now that you can say, like, well, I've seen the other side, <laughs> seen both sides? Uh-huh. You mean about what in particular? Anything. 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 Um, well, I, I mean, I think that we all need to be liberated from these gender expectations. Mm. And so I think that maybe that's the lesson that bounds all of us maybe is, and I know in a feminist context, right, there's, I know the shorthand is like, masculinity evil, men evil. <laughs> I think we often lose a lot of nuance there. Mm -hmm. um, I think in terms of black feminism, there has always been an acknowledgement that black men and black boys and black masculine folks bear the brunt of their own particular issues within a white supremacist patriarchy, mm -hmm. right? Even though the incels and, you know, the male studies dudes don't want you to know that black feminists have been thinking mm -hmm. of those things. They have. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually been a huge gripe with the larger kind of white feminist paradigm. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the lesson is that these gendered expectations stifle all of us in so many ways. So that emotional component I was talking about with men and boys and them not being able to receive affection or softness without betraying their essence, mm -hmm. I think that that's connected to women and girls who are told they can't be strong brilliant, independent, mm. capable leaders, mm. right? Or chart their own destinies without being hitched to yeah. the next random dude on the street, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, of course, for queer, trans, and non-binary folks, it's like we're often dealing with some mixture of all of that in mm. some way. But it's all connected. It's all about giving us all the freedom to uniquely be the unique drivers of our destinies. Mm. You transition in college. Let's talk about, or can you talk about some of the thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. that made you say, no, no, right? Because you're on the phone with somebody, with your friend, when you're like, I think I'm a woman. I am a woman. My boyfriend at the time. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, what, you know, I, I know... Other folks I've talked to have said, you know, they feel and they know mm -hmm. I am that. That's who I am. What yeah. What was that? Yeah. Well, I struggle with the word transition Okay. as we use it, right? I think we use transition as like, well, that was the turning point. Like no. the, And I think it's not just one light switch that flips on. I think there are different ones that flip on along the way. So, like, for instance, understanding that I was queer, gender nonconforming as a kid, that I was different at least, was a light switch, right? Understanding in this that moment that you're speaking to that, oh, I'm a woman is its own light switch. 
understanding maybe a year or so later, oh, this is the type of body that I want to strive for is its own kind of light switch. And and there are different light switches that happen along the way. I think we often collapse it all into one thing. Yeah. In that particular woman, in that particular woman, in that particular moment, um, as I was writing, I wanted to just be candid about the fact that I didn't always know that I was a woman in the sense that I'm a woman now. Okay. Because to be quite frank, I didn't know those possibilities existed. When I was a kid, I know I would lay awake at night praying to God that I would wake up as a girl. But there was no equipment for me to understand, oh, that's transness, right? I didn't have the tools, the language to understand that. Mm-hmm. Or the access to understand that. And the level of visibility in the 90s, right, was not very— It high. wasn't really there. So who would you even be connecting your dreams to? Right. Exactly. So that revelation for me in that moment to my partner at the time was I now have known trans people— I've now been in gender studies. I've been in college. I've been performing in drag at that point in the story. I have a little bit more to go on to understand, oh, I'm a woman and I want to embark on a transition because I think that that's going to fulfill me. That's my real self. That's my real self. Is it coming from— And sometimes it's trial and error. It's like It can be like anything else. I think a lot of folks who are not trans, up until maybe this point in the discourse, like where we are currently, there hasn't been space for that kind of nuance. So I couldn't have written this book— Years ago. Years ago. Maybe— We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. 
In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. You'll reject this binary, but for you, Mm -hmm. was it coming more from the heart or the head? Was it your thoughts about you, yourself, or your feelings about yourself? I think the feelings came first. Mm. And then the, the mind had to catch up. Because there's always something about being logical. And I talk about this with my therapist all the time, right? Like, growing up in my Southern Catholic Black family, traditional Black family, even to come out as queer— it, there had to be, I had to have my evidence in place. I had to be logical about it. I had to be able to anticipate, okay, well, what is going to be thrown at me to kind of chip away at what I'm saying about my queerness? The Bible, what's logical scientifically, because at that time people were still saying, well, animals aren't gay, which we know is bullshit. Right. They're very gay. Right, right for sure. <laughs> Actually. Um, I had to be able to anticipate, oh, well. Oh, oh, oh Africa. There's no gays in Africa. They're also, right, 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 right. that there's no queer it's, people it's in white. Africa. It's a Euro it's thing. It's a white thing. <laughs> it's because you went to college. <laughs> right. But then being Catholic, you know, I'm contending with the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. So I was stealing, like, my parents' religious texts, and my dad was— had a master's in psychology. I stole his DSM. I was like, well, this shit ain't going to help me. Not as a trans person. No. no. Um, so I had to have my evidence so that I could make as log- logical as an argument as possible, at least for my dad to un- try and even understand what I was saying or going Get there through. with your dad? I don't know. So my dad passed away when I was 19. This was actually one of the catalysts for me to really take my gender seriously in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And with my dad, I think I knew, or at least I hope that because he was an expert in psychology Mm. and a professor in it, that that would override his own personal issues with queerness. And it didn't. No. No. It didn't. He's not a psychologist at home. Right. And this is how deep these gendered restrictions are, Mm. especially in the black community. Mm. 
you know, there is a particular relationship that we all have with gender. But when I'm thinking about my father and what it meant for him to be a black man who was born in the 50s, you know, had this middle-class upbringing that he crafted with my mom, there was no imagination from him of me living openly as queer and being respected, much less trans. Mm, mm. Sweet. You come out to yourself. Talk about the learning process in terms of the expression of femininity, because you're identifying, I feel it in my heart. Mm-hmm. I know intellectually that's who I really am to fulfill, right? Not transition to change, but fulfill who I really am. But, you know, we see, you know, especially in New York, we see lots of people at different different points in their journey. Mm-hmm. Some people don't have it all together and some people do have it all, right? I mean, like you come in, you look fantastic. The makeup is great. You know, the hair, everything looks great. You're what not- makeup? You, <laughs> but I mean, like in, in 20 years, you're not going to look back on this photograph, and go, oh my God, what was it? But I'm sure it's, there's a point you look back on, you're like, she was not fully educated in how to put it all together, right? So talk mm. about your, like, is there a point where you're studying other women to understand how to best, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a put out your femininity? Interesting. That's a good question. Um, I think how I would how I want to approach this is I I don't tie my femininity up fully in how I look, right? So there is an essence piece for me, and there's like an expression piece for me, and then there's an aesthetic piece and and I think the expression and the aesthetic piece sometimes commingle but not always. So when I think about the essence, I think my feminine essence has always been there, mm-hmm. which is why I was bullied as a kid, mm-hmm. called gay, called sissy, told I was just like a girl. Well, and and thought that you were gay. And thought that I was gay because that was the only language I had access to. Well, if they're calling me this and I know I'm different, it must be this, oh, and I know I like boys, so that must be a thing. So that must be it. The expression piece, I guess, can be tied to the essence piece, too, because I think femininity can come through in mannerisms. Absolutely. And behavior and for all sure. that stuff. For sure. Which was there for me, you know, what people would have called flamboyant in another version of myself. Um, and I think the aesthetic piece is something that, I mean, to go back to your frame, when I look back at images of me at a different point in my transition and before, yeah, I mean, I I think I can be, I can feel like, oh, it's a little cringe. It's given cringe, (laughs) but You know, I think to level the playing field, I think there are plenty of cis people who look back at images and they're like, what are we doing? And part of what I'm, part of what, I mean, I think there's a lot to learn 
to mm-hmm. become a woman, right? Yeah. In in modern society, I. I mean, maybe I'm just ignorant of it, but like, I'm like, I don't think there's a lot to learn if you want to come over or if you fulfill who you are Mm -hmm. in becoming male. It's not a ton of stuff you have to learn the same way that (laughs) if you, if you are, no, I am a woman. There's there's a lot to learn. There can be a lot. I mean, I, I, but I think femininity is, it's not monolithic, right? Of course. So for me, Coming out of a drag experience, because there was kind of that like gray so that's period. What you're studying and pretending and 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 were wearing it, but as, I as didn't tr- know I was doing that, right? Right? Because right. I at that point it was like, well, this is fun, this is performance, and I had to figure out, oh, well, what is performance and what is just me, and why do I enjoy this, and why do I not want to de drag? Mm. After I get off the stage. Mm, I want to live in this. I want to live in this. I want to be this, right? And not necessarily be a spectacle. Because mm. that's a different thing. Yeah. I just want to be honored in my femininity, have it seen, recognized, acknowledged. acknowledged. And it was a journey. But, you know, it's... It, my relationship to femininity has shifted a lot. I mean, to be a black trans woman who mostly wears her natural hair, you know, I might wear a unit or two every now and then, but like <laughs> as a black woman and a trans woman who mostly wears her natural hair, that's a statement to me that's kind of like, I'm woman enough, right? You can see my woman without me having to do everything else, right? I might wear lash for an event or something like that, but I'm not going out, you know, doing that every day, right? And so that's what fulfills me. And I say that because there are plenty of women, trans and cis, right, who will not leave the house without what we call a gilda, on a full <laughs> wig on. It's Gilda, an old school word. It's Gilda school. for like you know the Gilda wig. who? Gilda who? Gilda Radner? I, oh, is that what that? I have is? no idea. I don't know. Gil, you say Gilda. I'm like, who? Gilda must be a person. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Oh it's no, the only Gilda I know of. I don't know. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Well, I. There must be somebody listening who's like, he's so stupid. He does not know what he's talking about. Well, now I'm like, is is there like a problematic origin that I didn't know? Maybe. No, no. So we'll stick with wig. But. (laughs) (laughs) You're funny. But, you know, without the wig whipped and the lashes on, I mean, I walk around New York and see high school girls like wearing, you know, a wig and a full beat and. Oh eyelashes, God. right? And so, and that's a whole nother conversation, but I, I think with femininity, there's, it, it's kind of flawed for us to be like, femininity is like the gender expression that's of adornment. And it's always adding something. It's always augmentation versus masculinity, which we say is, is more raw and organic. And that's not necessarily true. Like, men put on all the time for each other, right? Whether it's deepening their voices, whether it's staying in the gym 
15 <laughs> hours a day. <laughs> when, you know. <laughs> muscles are make up for bed. <laughs> right. And we go work out. But and like, beards, but you know, you, and, you know, everything. But she puts on makeup, and that's a different thing. So, like, femininity isn't the only gender experience or expression that can be fueled by affectation. For sure. That's I guess that's what I'm sharing. For sure. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Who? So when you're in your 20s and you're growing into this, who are some of the people you looked up to? Um, RuPaul, you said, was um, somebody you were able to look up to? Was Laverne mm. Cox somebody that you were able Like, who were some of the folks— we were like, she or he are are doing it right, and I, I like what they're doing. Oh, I'm inspired I, by them. Right. Well, I'll circle back because I think when I was a kid in the 90s and, like, early 2000s, I knew of RuPaul because mm-hmm. I remember seeing RuPaul, like, on TV and, like, all these things. And, and he was one of the first fan- He was— Right, the first like nationally famous, openly like queer black drag queen. Yeah, um, and one of the only examples that the black community had that wasn't like a cis straight man making a mockery mm. of queerness, mm. right? Because like my earliest memories beyond RuPaul are like. What in Living Color and Men on Film? Mm. Like that or Martin Ashenene? Uh, you know, like. Anytime a black man is on TV in a dress, it's comedy, it's laughter, it's, it's comedy. He's lesser, he's making fun of. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, let Cat Williams tell it, right? Like, that's the worst thing. 
yeah. that a black comedian could be asked is to— You're emasculated when you put on a dress. You're emasculated. And while I think that there's some merit in that because of how basic our society can be, I also think that we just have to be a bit more careful about how we talk about that because that is actually some people's real experiences. Is no, that, that message redounds to young you. Yeah. Still figuring the world out. That you're nothing but a joke. And that coupled with the bullying I experienced, that it's, it's also like that I'm not real. So mm. I think, and this is my first time really thinking about this in a long time, but I think as a young kid being told I was queer or feminine, there was always a sense of, well, maybe you'll grow out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wherever you pick that up from. And it's like, I didn't pick this up from anything. There's this notion that goes around now about social contagion, mm. right? That like lots of young people are trans or queer because lots of other young people are and they get attention for it and they make it. I don't think that's what's happening. That's not what hap- That's not what's happening. Um, but I, I think to your point, by the time I got to college and I was in my 20s, well, starting to be in my 20s. Um, Well, RuPaul had circled back around and had a resurgence because drag race became a thing. But I was hesitant to openly like drag race and pay attention to it because I went through a period where I didn't want to be that kind of gay. So that's a whole nother thing. Okay. But when I graduated from college, and by that point, of course, I understood my transness. I had started um, hormone replacement therapy, changed my name and and gender legally so that by the time I graduated, my diploma reflected everything. Because I was like, if I'm going to have a job, I got to change everything over as quickly as possible. Wow. I graduated from the University of Georgia two months before Orange is the New Black premiered. Okay. And this was like about nine months before Janet Mock released Redefining Realness. And I think people forget because I'm 32. They think, oh, well, you've always seen the visibility era. But no, my first few years, I was in like, for lack of a better term, a no man's land, right, of trans representation in that way. Mm. Mm. And I really did not see a future where I could be open as trans and have a career in journalism. So I wasn't out in my first job. I was a newspaper reporter in Monroe, Georgia, even smaller than Augusta, Georgia, where I'm from. And I was not out in that year and some change that I was there as queer or trans. Do you have to be out to the people you work with? I don't think you do. No. I don't think you have to be out. I think... But I don't know how you... live without the fear of being outed. For sure. For sure. Because that's different. Like, at least if you're out, 
Nobody you can, know the stakes. Nobody can say anything. And nobody can say anything, hopefully. And if they do say something, well, hopefully you'll figure out how to dodge whatever BS is coming your way. But if you aren't out and it gets found out, there could be consequences. For sure. For sure. So, so, and then not to mention the microaggressions, right? The... I mean, I remember I was probably a few weeks into working at this first job I was talking about where I wasn't out. And one of my coworkers, this older white man, made some joke about trannies. And I was like, I don't think we can use that language anymore. That's what you said? Yeah. But it was like, so awkward it would be so rare at that time for somebody to say hey i don't think you should make fun of that group of people yeah now i think cis some cis people would say that's not funny right but 20 years ago who who would say 10 years ago that's not funny yeah who would say that there was another instance where So our publisher for the newspaper, The Big Boss, we had a woman come in who was trying to find information on something at our front desk. I was the only woman and the only person of color on our editorial staff, but our other teams were mostly women, like our marketing and sales team, circulation even. But this woman came in. She had a super deep voice, Mm -hmm. like super deep. And I was like, you know, I don't know. She might be one, you know, one of the girls. I don't right, know. Your trans radar. Yeah. Go, right? It was trans dar, gay dar, what, how, what trans is Trans Your guess. trans dar goes off of like. She might be, but. You're saying what? She might be one of the girls? That's what She you're... might be. Who knows? Okay. I, I wasn't super convinced. She just had a deep voice. So okay. it was just one thing. But the woman is like waiting for our a group of the women to come back up to, like, bring whatever material she was asking for. My publisher and, like, two other women, they were like, did you hear her voice? Oh, my God. And they were, like, giggling about how deep this woman's voice was. Oh. And I'm like, I feel like I'm, like, I guess in, like, the Jordan Peele universe version of, like, yeah. you know, a, a, a stealth trans workplace horror film, I guess, you know. But it's the big boss. But it's the big boss. I don't want to insult him. Can't say anything. Embarrass him. And this was a woman. Her. This was a white, oh, blonde woman. Oh, I assumed woman. it was a man. Oh, my God. White, blonde woman. You know? Mm, she's joining in making fun of... This random woman's voice who came to get information from us in the workplace. But you had to let it go. Had to let it go. There's a point I I talk about in the book where my boss is like, you cover this drag show that's happening. And I'm like scared shitless because I'm like, what? Is he playing in my face? You know, like, does he know? Not out. But he's not saying out. this, so you're you're like, oh. But part of it is like, 
he gave me the lifestyle beat because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you're, you love this human interest stuff. You don't want to do this politics, whatever, coverage. So I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just more of the misogyny. Maybe he's not clocking mm. anything. After I report on the story, I went and took photos, everything. And I'm like cycling through the photos. Another woman from our team comes into the room. She's like, oh, my God, these photos. She calls a bunch of the other women over there, like looking over my shoulder at the photos of these drag performers. She's like, that one doesn't even look like a man. And it's just like all of this like problematic language. And I'm like, well, maybe they really don't know, you know, that I'm trans. Cause like mm. the way that they talk about this stuff, like I'm getting this window in. I imagine it's like if a person of color passes as white and they hear what white people say when yeah. people you know are of color yeah. aren't in the room, yeah. like that is what it feels like. Uh, who do you date? <laughs> <laughs> now she's drinking. Oh, my God. Um, I'm not asking for specific names of individuals. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> um, I mostly date men and masculine folks. Cis men? Cis men, trans men. My longest relationships have been with trans masculine folks. Um, trans masculine. What is, what is, what do you mean by, tra- you mean, that, that's what I, that's what I said, when, that's what I meant when I said trans men, trans masculine. So, f- Trans masculine as an umbrella that can include trans men and folks who are non-binary, you know, so but maybe not male identified, but maybe still more masculine of center. Non-binary, but masculine. Presenting usually. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there, I think I've most dated cis men. Cis straight men. Most of the men you've dated, most of the people you've dated have been cis men. hmm And it's difficult. I mean, on cis so many levels. straight men? Yeah. Or cis gay men? Straight men. Um, I think this is always interesting to people, but typically I don't encounter... Queer men who, like, queer men don't approach me. And I'm using queer as an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably more to speak to bisexual or pansexual men. Are cis, are you worried about cis straight men fetishizing you? Or or, or, or or exoticizing you? Sometimes. Yeah. I think I worried more about that before... To be frank, bottom surgery. Because I think that... You did that? I talk about it in the book, yes. Yeah. Which is why I'm comfortable talking about surgery now. You you, uh, you said you worry about it more now? 
No, I worried about it more than, like, before surgery. Okay. Because, like, I think a lot of cis men who have a thing for trans women, yeah, they tend to have a thing for trans women that have a particular type of body. They tend to want to date a, a woman who has a penis, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't, which is my experience now, it's, I mean, I've dated a guy who was like, well, why would you have surgery? That's like, you know, because like to some of them, they're like, that's what makes you you. Is that you're a woman with something extra. Mm. Which is really uncomfortable. Yeah. For me. Um. And I think now, dating cishet men, that's not as much of a problem on this side of things. But, you know, there are cishet men who will be like, oh, well, you can't have kids, so this can't be a real thing. Or... Does that hurt? Yeah. Oh, it absolutely hurts. Um... Because that is a an experience I desire to have mm. that I will never have, you know? You think about adopting? Yeah, I do. I think the other thing with cis men is that I'm often dealing with their insecurities. So, like, cis men who are like, well, how could I introduce you to my family or the people in my life, right? Mm. Because... Even though I'm a woman, right, because of my journey, you know, they're so afraid of being labeled as gay or being labeled as not, you know, a real man. Mostly black men? Yeah, mostly. Are are you, you, like, that's your type? I want black men or white men too? Or I've dated folks across races and ethnicities. Um... I think, to be frank, there's something about never fully receiving the love that I know I deserve from black men that will always be a part of what I desire. Okay. That continues to be part of your quest as a person who's dating, that you haven't received the love you deserve from black men? I think that can be a part of it, yeah. So I would say I prefer a black... Oh, you want that fulfilled. I want a black person, a black male that hasn't happened. I'm still holding out for that. No, I don't want to say it like that. But I I think the desire for this kind of idea of like black love, there is something that I have that I and I think a lot of us, right, have to disentangle about maybe what we're trying to prove, Mm. you know, Mm. we're being real vulnerable. But I I think that that's real, right? I think that can be tied up a lot of times in this idea of a fantasy relationship. Um, I know being trans is to be vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. You are constantly vigilant about, you know, the wrong person could get the wrong impression or just anything, right? You're constantly vulnerable. So are there specific places where you are open to meeting men 
where, okay, I, I'm safe here at this bar, at this sort of spot, you know, these sort of parties where I can. Not really. No, I think. I feel like I don't have a defined dating pool, for instance. So, like, if I'm in a straight space, I'm dealing with the threat of, yeah, men talk to me all the time, approach me all the time, ask for my number all the time. But there's, like, a ticking clock of when we have to have the discussion. Yeah, how long is that? How long is that? Um... I still appreciate deeper into the dating process. So I would say I hate the burden of having to talk about my transness on the first or even the second date. Wow. You would let me take you out (laughs) twice. Well, this is ideal. Right. And not say... Just so you know. If we met out and about, yeah, I'm more likely to to hold off longer. Now, online, if I'm like on an app or something, I put it in my profiles. Like, I don't play that game. No, but I met you at, if I met you at a bar, restaurant, whatever, Raquel's so beautiful, can I take you out? Sure. It varies, but I'm not going to be like, can you take me out? Sure. Oh, by the way, I'm trans. Like, I might do that, but I don't feel obligated to do that mm, all the time. It's interesting that you say you don't feel obligated to do it. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, but it's also different now, I think, being so visible. Yes, for so, sure. Right. But you know, I, 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 everybody you meet does not know who you are. That's right? true. Some yeah. people know. I saw her on television, whatever, her book, whatever. But you surely meet a lot of people who you know, yeah, think you're very attractive and don't know anything but the person they see in front of them. Yeah, I think the stakes feel different if. We're going to hook up, for sure. If we're going to kiss. No. (laughs) What do you mean, no? Uh, No, I don't think... I don't don't feel obligated necessarily if we're going to kiss. You would make out with a man who does not know that you're trans. Yeah. Part of the thought for me is the ramping danger for you, mm-hmm. which obviously you are aware of, but I just want to unmask. Like, that's part of what I'm wondering about that, you know, I ask you for your number and, you know, you let me know, like, just so you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, me, male, I have invested this much time and energy. That's not that, that I, I do or don't want to go down that road. Fine. I took her out on two dates and I made out with her, and then she said, "Oh, by the way, check out my memoir. I'm actually, and I, you know, and and you yeah. know, you know better than me. At that moment, you are in danger. He might say, 
I understand that's wonderful. It's not for me. Or he might say, God damn it. Are you fucking kidding me? I am angered now because I have been tricked or emasculated or something. Right? But that could happen at any point in the process. 100%. Is so it, I guess are you my- not more vulnerable when he, he, he did what he thought he was doing mm-hmm. with the cis woman and then he finds out he's not and then you're dealing with him embarrassed, ashamed, whatever. I guess what I think about with this question is when guys hit on me on the street, which happens regularly. Sure. I'm never going to be like, oh, I'm trans. Not on the street. Not on the street. No, 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 of course not. Okay. But you wouldn't take my number if I met you on the street, right? Like we got to be... In a space, right? I mean, that is that's very— That's not true. <laughs> okay. No, n- okay. no, and I mean, whether I'm interested or not, the stakes are we might have to just exchange numbers so I can get you out of my face. For sure. For sure. Like, that is a real thing as a woman. For sure. I guess the the kissing thing, it's just— I don't know if it's because I'm queer slash bi plus and the gender thing doesn't resonate as much for me or because I've known, I I would say, the vast majority of the cishet men I've dated. Did not know that they were open to dating a woman like me until we met. Mm, interesting. Um, but so you're not. Let's stop. Let's. I want to dive deeper. They, they. You're the first trans woman they're talking to. Yeah. So you're like, I don't need to and tell. And even you. some of the trans men that I've dated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm the first trans woman they've talked to. And you're. Because you've experienced men getting to know you, and mm-hmm. then re- and then realizing, oh, this is cool. Like I'm, I'm, I am comfortable on this road where I yeah. wouldn't have thought before. So I don't have to tell you because you might like it. Yeah, but I mean, and I, I have a chapter in the book where I kind of talk about the kind of lopsided way we look at disclosure of mm. trans identity. There are people who are more invested in me talking about being trans than they are about us talking about sexual health status. Sure. Right? Or me asking somebody if they have a record, right? You kill, you ever killed somebody? <laughs> You know, or you got a gun on you right now. You got to know. Or how many children you got. You ever hit your wife. You know, right. Have you ever been abusive? So this obsession with me sharing my transness. Oh, that the world wants you to tell that, but there are all sorts of things that that we could have a conversation about. Should probably be telling you I'm on probation. Right. 
not gonna he's not gonna tell you that on date one. I have a kid, right? He's probably not he might gonna not. Right? He may I mean, or may I had not. guys who give me their number and then they like, oh, I got a newborn in the background. Newborn. I'm sure there's guys. And then told on. me that me telling him that I'm trans is the same as him telling me he has a newborn in the background. Are guys hitting on you who are married? Who are married? And yes. didn't tell you. So, okay, 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 all right. So there's all sorts of things that anybody might be hiding from a person who's interested in them. So, so I we're don't know saying that it's hiding because, yeah, I don't think that it's hiding. I'm not hiding my transness. I just. I'm demanding an experience where I get to be more than just that one thing mm. because society has made you so ignorant. Hiding has a negative connotation, right? I think so. And you are not hiding. Obviously, in you are extraordinarily public about it. Yeah. But if I meet you as a stranger at a bar, you are not being public about it. And to loop back, you are very... What did we say? Cis adjacent? What did we say? Assumed. Cis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if I met you as a stranger, it would never occur to me, right? Mm-hmm. But I also think that there is a... Society that we need to be working towards where men, for instance, create an environment and experience safe enough for someone to tell them their truth. Mm. Because the problem here isn't that I don't know when or what the stakes are of me telling you that I'm trans. It's that It's so normalized for you to react any kind of way violently and in insecurity towards me because of that truth. And when on my book tour, someone was asking me this, like, well, what is it like for you to, you know, date and like tell men that you're trans and... It made me think of so many of the black trans women who black trans women who get murdered, right, or experience violence. Hmm. It's often happening in a domestic violence situation or intimate partner violence situation. It's not always from strangers. Sometimes it's from men who have known their truth and then their insecurity caught up with them. Hmm. But What am I, as a black trans woman, supposed to do with a society that was not made for me, Mm -hmm. that tells me I shouldn't be loved or experience pleasure or any of these things? What am I supposed to do in that? Am I supposed to just not have experiences, isolate myself? No. You know? Of course Or am I just going to have to take risks? 
and figure out this journey along the way of like what it's going to look like to find the love and the joy and the pleasure that I deserve. I mean, you're, it's interesting because you're, you're taught the, the dating, uh, potential pool that you're talking mm-hmm. about or the people you've been with historically, some of them are queer. So they have a similar, let's say openness around gender, <laughs> right? That you have, Sometimes. right? Sometimes. Yeah, not always. As opposed to, I would imagine, as opposed to cis men, cis straight men who mm-hmm. see it extremely binary and, like, the the notion of gender being fluid is sort of like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, and so, so some of the men you're meeting are like, hey, gender is a construct. Like, let's go. Right. And some of them are like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean that cis hat men as as much as I love to rag on cis straight men, <clears throat> they aren't a monolith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've met you know great cis hat men, right? And so if we get to a point, then it just becomes about the regular relationship bullshit, like. What what do you want? Do you want a family, right? Like, are you working on a PhD and you Who don't really you? have time to, like, fully be invested in this? Do you or? drive a bus or do you own the bus company? Well, <laughs> but, I mean, that can be a thing. Um, I also think that this is a time where, you know, black trans women, like, I know plenty of black trans women who lead executive roles in organizations, right? Mm -hmm. Or who have a bustling professional life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe we're in our, like, black trans waiting to exhale moment where Mm. it's like, where's our dating pool that can match where we are? And I think that that can be real, too. There's a lot of talk on the right, the political right, about trans women i'm not even think they're fully defined making cis people feel unsafe in the bathroom do you ever feel unsafe in the bathroom no but that's an element of privilege right the cis assumed privilege mm. the first time i used the women's restroom was in college i remember it was what like was that like um, I was scared. I had used them before, but only if they were empty. Mm-hmm. But this was like my senior year of college. I had started dressing the way I wanted to, you know, was working on getting my name changed, everything. And I went in, it was like in between classes in like the student union or something. So it was like a bunch of people. And it was like nothing. Nobody was paying attention to me. And it was like such a revelation of like, oh. I can do this. I can do this. But that's not every trans person's experience. No, of course. Right? And so I do like to make the point that all of the boxes I've been able to check off, whether it's 
how I look or being cis-assumed or educational privilege or social economic privilege. Even, I mean, we were talking about femininity earlier in this discussion and, like, how it manifests, but I think about what femininity has meant from this, like, middle-class upbringing, right, of seeing my mom in the 90s and, like, her power suits and big rollers and, you know, like, all of that and, like, being in the South and her wearing her, like, fascinators. She just calls them hats, but they're fascinators. And, you know, like, all of that stuff. That's a particular experience. And the access to that because of class is a thing, too. So that has been another one of those boxes that I've checked off, too, in what's what's acceptable in the amount of adornment to wear in a certain environment, too, right? Mm. But I don't want trans women to have to check off all those boxes to be respected, right? Like, I, ideally, we would live in a world where you wouldn't have to be cis-assumed to have the career that I have or to have the access to write a memoir like I have, Right. And that's what I, I hope I, I can fight for mm. in my work. Um, do you hate Dave Chappelle? <laughs> I don't hate Dave Chappelle. Are you mad at him? <sighs> yeah. I'm mad at him and disappointed. I, I think it's been said a lot, right, that he has been one of the great provocateurs on race, like, historically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's sad that he hung up all of those strong insights to tap into the lowest common denominator right now, which I think is looking at trans people being on the chopping block and being like, oh, okay, yeah, let's go for that. It's not actually funny anymore. I don't even actually think cis people find it funny. Like, they're not guffawing like we were when we were watching the Chappelle show. Uh, uh, So, bounce this idea off of you. And it's not a smart take. The smart— You thought thought the Andy Kaufman, Jim Carrey take was dumb— I don't remember this. This is the last more. joke, the opening joke for his last special mm-hmm. that he the was— The dreamer one. Yes. That yes he's yes, sad okay. that somebody had passed away. Somebody in his family had passed away. Somebody said, you're a big fan of Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. I'll take you to go meet Jim Carrey. And they go to the set of the movie where he's doing Andy Kaufman. I think okay. it was Man on the Moon, I think it was called. And— Andy, uh, Jim is method, so you can't call him Jim, and you can't expect to interact with him as Jim. He's doing Andy all day long, and he hung out with him all day, and he's like, this is, like, I really wish that I could meet Jim, but I'm here with Andy. Mm -hmm. And I forget the punchline, but he's like, you know, that's how I feel with trans people. And he's just just making that, that analogy. 
Right, that we aren't who we say we are. No, 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 no. No, that's not what he's saying. No, he. I mean, he's saying <laughs> that he's saying. to be a trans person is like the ultimate form of method acting. No, I don't think that's where he was going. That's what I, I'm getting I, from I, it. I feel like, I mean, I think it's been four specials where there have been a significant number of jokes about trans folks. Mm-hmm. And I think, and... You know, I, I imagine you'll probably disagree that he is looking at the world and seeing like a lot of people our age are going, what is happening in the world, right? How old right. are you? Uh, I'm 52. So okay. me and Dave are about the same age, <laughs> um, a lot older than you. And, <laughs> and we're seeing the rise of visibility of trans folks and we're saying, what what is going on? Not necessarily pejoratively, but what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. And I respond to it in my way, and he responds to it by making jokes where he's kind of trying to process what is going on here yeah. in the world. Yes. And Talking I about think this- race at this point, he may find tame— as it opposed to be. this is the intellectually complicated issue that's going on now. Yes, but I don't think that the rigor is there. I don't think that he is processing that is really not about trans people. He did a whole— It's about him and he, his own uncertainty or discomfort mm-hmm. around his place in the world. Okay. And that doesn't translate for me, but I guess part of it is like the difference between when he was talking about race was that he wasn't really in the power position. Right. And he doesn't seem to understand that he is in the power position when we're talking about gender. He did a whole long story joke in The Closer mm-hmm. about... Daphne, yeah, who he embraced. This was the special before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dreamer, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he embraces her as a friend. Mm-hmm. And he, and even more than that, he embraces her as a comic, right? Which is, that is the highest level of, of compliment from him. You are a comic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I felt like he was trying to say, you know, I I met a trans person, I embraced them, I brought them in, I tried to help them as best as I could. I don't hate. Yeah, I I think he fucked up the frame. (laughs) Okay. Because when he blamed the trans community as Mm -hmm. being a collection of, you know, aggrieved activists, who drove Daphne to her suicide. Mm. He brought a lot of ire onto the community. So there you there that's where he he really fucked it up he for you. He really fucked it up because not only did he scapegoat the community for all of these varying systems of oppression. Like if you're actually in trans community, you know suicidality is a Thing. I mean, we're not even talking about specifically in the black trans community and and for black trans men in particular, but suicidality is a thing because, yeah, 
it is fucking difficult to be a trans person in this world and demand to be respected and to have, try and get employment, you know, try to find housing, try to find healthcare, access things without having to be on the black market and, and on and on. And for him to reduce her suicide to this quip about trans folks online being in cahoots with council culture was fucked up. Because then whenever we did want to critique his discussion of trans people, then we would get responses from cis people online who would say, y'all are the ones that killed Daphne, Mm. not us. Mm. And no, it's cis people Mm. killing trans people overwhelmingly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think the sports issue has been used as a tool, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, A political tool. Because even... A lot of people who are like, yeah, let them live. Let them use the bathroom they want to use. Let them get hired. Then they're like, oh, but uh, sports, uh, right? Like that, right? And I'm like, y'all didn't care about women's sports before. So why are you so concerned? I don't think you're concerned with women's sports. It's completely in bad faith. But how do you feel and what do you say when you hear those discussions about well, what happens if we get a trans woman wanting to compete in swimming and running and basketball? Yeah. Well, I'll speak from personal experience. No one has ever, and for good reason, wanted me on any of their sports teams (laughs) at any point in my transition and before. Because I am not built that way. I'm not really athletic. Right, I do CrossFit now. Oh, good for you. But I'm not athletic. And so I share that to say that this specter of trans women in particular as automatically good at sports and— Well, stronger than cis women generally? I I could easily hear a petite white woman saying that about one of my black cis sisters— Right? Okay. Because there's just this mythos around trans people that we all have the same bodies. I know trans women who are short, right? And small framed. Yeah, same, yeah. Right? I know cis men who could never be wrestlers or (laughs) any of this stuff, (laughs) right? Of course. So I, I think that it... We ignore the complexity of our bodies and that we don't all have that experience, the same experience. So that's the thing. I mean, the other thing I would say is that, you know, there was, I think it was like this national body on, was it chess? Mm -hmm. That they were like, Mm, they no, wanted to yes. gender the categories or yeah. something yeah, because it's just getting out of hand for trans people. Chess. And so <laughs> if you didn't think before that this was about reiterating these essentialist notions of gender to fuck everyone over, mm. that should be your clue because why are we talking about 
gender when it comes to a game that's largely about brain power. Right. For sure. For sure. You know. So, I mean, I I also want folks to remember that the vast majority of these professional sports bodies had started to deal with the existence of trans folks or intersex folks before it became a political issue. Mm. And they all have their different rules and standards. Some of them, yes, need to change and have changed. But it is insulting for Bob on the street who mm-hmm. was never mm-hmm. in line to qualify for anything in the the Olympics mm-hmm. to be like, you just want to be in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how does this actually impact either of us? Mm-hmm. Like, for you to denounce my existence on an issue that really is not your issue is mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not even an athlete. Why am I being asked... <laughs> About and this is not about you, right? No, right, right yeah. But it's like that isn't even my experience. But as a trans person, I'm asked about it as if there aren't all these other things that I would rather us focus on. So one of the other things, and I'm sorry if folks are like, you keep bringing up these conservative issues, but I want to give. I know you these the ch- are the, the big. These things. are the big things that people talk about, and yeah. I want to give you the chance to to talk about it and to potentially arm those of us who may also encounter some of these conversations. Of course. Well, I, can I also just add? I think in the conversation about sports, we know it's not just trans folks put on the chopping block, but. It's been folks of color put on the chopping block. I mean, I and cis women, you know, particularly cis black women. Like, I think about Castor Semenya from South Africa, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. the way that mm-hmm. being assigned female at birth did not save her from being scrutinized and disqualified from playing a sport that gave so much to mm-hmm. her life, right? Added so much to her life. So... It may seem like it's it's a trans sports thing, but it's really not. It's it's More really talking about all of our bodies at the same time and which ones we're going to deem acceptable or not. We you know we, we touched a lot on on how men react to you. Mm-hmm. Do cis women generally tend to react to you? Black cis women especially do they tend to react to you as, as a sister? Or do you find sometimes they're like, she's not really one of us? <laughs> Good question. Yes, and um, I think overwhelmingly there is like a sister component. You know, rarely do I feel like I receive ire. I don't get the J.K. Rowling turf <sighs> experience, you know, of course, a lot of that is because of the boxes I check off. Um, but I don't get that. Um, so I think it's a yes and. I, I think in terms of, like, social justice movement spaces, there can be a dynamic of—and this isn't just on cis women, right? Because especially when I think about black 
social justice movement spaces. It's like everyone at the table, but there can be a sense of like, I don't think trans, black trans women, despite all of the contributions we've made to social justice, have had our leadership fully respected and acknowledged and definitely not in the ways that like our cis counterparts have. And so that hurts, you know? But if we're just talking about out and about, like, it's so, chill, socially. it's cool, like, we're good. So one thing the right would say, <laughs> the right loves to say now is what is a woman? Like, mm-hmm. that's some um, gotcha question. And I have an answer for that, but I want to hear, what would you say if one of these right-wingers was like, so Raquel, what is a woman? What is a woman? A woman to me, I mean, I think about my mom and my sister. Mm -hmm. I think about these powerful beings who gave me space to be myself, who are some of the most empathetic people I've ever known, the most evolved people I've ever known, the most loving people I've known, the folks that I've had the most intimate discussions and relationships with, I think about other black trans women, you know, my sisters, my friends who I can be my most vulnerable self with. This is beautiful, but you know, the question is, how do you define a woman? That that is different for everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we can talk about being female and assigned female at birth and having a certain type of body, but not even every cis woman has the same amount of chromosomes or Mm -hmm. the ability to menstruate or Mm -hmm. the ability to give birth, right? And so I don't actually think that that's a fruitful conversation. I think no. we can have a conversation about the boxes it's that not, we give people, it's right? Not, it's not fruitful. It's not valuable. It's held in bad faith. But this is partly what we are getting from the right, right? This is one of their big talking points. Well, I think with the right, it's funny because— The joke is that trans people or queer people or non-binary people don't know who we are. Mm -hmm. But I think the real discussion is that in this time when to be cisgender and to be straight is not as much the default, the folks who've been able to rely on those identities don't know who they are. I mean, you clearly know who you are, right? <laughs> and you ac- accepted, did not accept the givens of the world, but were like... I could have. You could have. And that's the but thing. I for- explored yeah. and said, no, no, no. That's, that's who I really am. Yeah. And I'm like, 
If you're trans, you are living out your dreams. You are living out who you really think you are. And there's all these people who are like, well, I wish I had been an architect or I wish I had done this in my life or that. Well, that trans man or woman is doing that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is, you know, I there are times where I meet cis men who... And I know it's not easy. I know the the shorthand is that, you know, you're a man, you're closer in proximity to the patriarchy, it's easy for you. I know that that isn't true. I know that there's nuance there. And I know that a lot of brothers are going through it, have been going through it, have never fully been seen. And I know that it's hurtful to experience other people being seen. But I'm not the enemy. I want you to be free. And at a point, I could have been you. Mm. You know, like I could have been you in, in the sense of, quieting my desires because I thought fitting all of these standards would save me or would fulfill me or would make me joyful. But that is just not true. And when, and particularly when I think about black men, because, you know, that's a big part of your audience, right? Um I think about the messages that are received around masculinity in this society, but the this, this society was not set up for you. And so, yeah, there may, may be moments where you get some affirmation around your masculinity or your manhood, but it's, it's not lasting, especially if those affirmations are in those moments where you can most make other people feel smaller. So, like, trying to make me feel like I shouldn't exist or that I'm not real or valid, that's not actually your power. Mm. It might feel like it in the moment when you get your little kudos and the comment section of the shade room or, like, whatever else. <laughs> but at the end of the day and at the end of your life, you're probably going to wish you'd related to folks in a different way because there's a reason a lot of men are dying alone <sighs> lonely to for me uh -huh. on the question of defining woman <laughs> defining woman okay. i saw a woman respond to that question i don't know if she was cis or trans and she said a person who tells you that they are a woman uh -huh. that's a woman and, of course, Ben Shapiro, whoever the fuck, was like, you know, immediately redounds to biology, you know. Yeah. If you die, then blah, 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 blah. If the fire department comes, then blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, what we need to say at that point is I am talking about sociology. You are talking about biology. We are not talking about biology. I'm talking about sociology. You want to join me over here? in a conversation about sociology, then we can have that. 
Yeah. You can only see it in a biological lens. Then we have nothing to talk about. And you're basically reducing me to what is in my body when we are all so much more than just our body. Yeah. I mean, we are. And words and definitions to an extent can be finite. And so I guess I'm just more interested in the question of what do you want? What do you want, Ben Shapiro, by asking me? Attention. Right. <laughs> it's not a real. Attention and validation. Yeah. And you want folks to be like, oh, yeah, go, go, Ben. He like, you're right. Trans person. You're normal and they're weird. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. It's just an outgrowth of high school bullying bullshit yeah you know yeah. yeah it it doesn't move us anywhere and and i think that that's the point right it's like the ben shapiro's of the world don't want us to progress no. they want us to stay exactly where we are now maybe go make america great again and go go a little <laughs> bit go back a few decades oh because we reached oh. our peak in the 50s oh. apparently the, so. the book is called the risk it takes to bloom Mm-hmm. What is the risk that the risk. it takes to bloom? The risk comes from confronting a difficult moment in life or a difficult dynamic in life and making the choice to see if there's something better on the other side. So the risks for me throughout my life have been taking the risk to come out as gay at 14 to my parents, which was one of the best things I had ever done up until that point because it freed me up to actually make real friends and breathe a little bit more and and let go of some of their expectations. It was the risk to perform in drag. If I hadn't taken that risk, I wouldn't have deepened my understanding of my experience with gender. I wouldn't have found queer and trans community for the first time and realized how important that was to to sustaining myself, taking the risk to embrace my womanhood. I wouldn't have had a deeper relationship with my family than ever before. I mean... Uh, just for a second, like, I think about my mom, like, every now and then we'll be, she'll ask me, she's like, well, did you think your life would be this way? You know, or we'll talk about, like, I couldn't imagine having never owned my truth. We would not have the relationship that we have if I hadn't. I would be a miserable person. Mm. I would not be in this room right now and not be talking to you, the icon that you are, (laughs) um, without having taken those risks, right? I wouldn't have written that book. Yeah. I might have written a book, but it wouldn't have been as real as that one is. So it's those things, and even beyond the identity piece is taking the risk to move away from Georgia to see what else is out there, taking the risk to do other things in my career, 
you know, to embrace social justice and storytelling, which also 10 years ago was not a thing you could really do, you know? So. Did you choose the name Raquel? I did. Why? Um, I wish there was like a super deep reason, but I like the way it sounded. I wanted a name that wasn't as common. Um, I wanted a name that spoke to a nickname that I talk about in the book. Um, yeah, and it just kind of worked. But I, I remember the process. I was very methodical about it, and I was, like, looking at the baby names. and like, oh, well, what were the baby names in 1991? And, you know, if I had had this different life and— Writing them all down on a notebook and like, well, which one do I like writing in print or in cursive? Was there a like, number two? Was there a number two? Just, just. I don't think at that time there was, but I think along the way I've been like, oh, I think Jasmine would have been a cute name. For sure. For sure. <laughs> you wonder what the name does. I think my wife said that she was, I think she once said she was almost named Tiffany. Mm. And I just wonder, like, how would you be if you were going around the world? Like, would you be different if you were going around the world being called Jasmine, if not Raquel? Like, Maybe. <laughs> but my mom says, you know, when she thought that I might have been, you know, a, a signed female at birth, my name would have been Brittany Rose. I would have been, I would have had two names, Brittany Rose. Okay. You know, I think the name does, I guess the name impacts how you're received, but I don't know. Well, congrats on the book. Yeah. On the journey. Thank you. And all the success that you've had. It's an honor to have you. I know. We talked about all the spicy things. All the things. Oh, Lord. Thanks so much to Raquel for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Her editor is Ryan Woodhall. Her engineer is Claire McHale. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids, and everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real, so I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.